Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Hey, man. So I remember when I was in college, the old heads told us about March Madness. Right? And we were like, what's March Madness? And they're like, look, man, that first day in March come when that weather get right, and they're going to be dressed up in sweaters in the morning, and they're going to figure out what happened, and they're going to dig out that trunk from under the bed, and they're going to pull out that summertime gear, and you're going to get you a spot on the wall, and it's going to be March Madness. And Friday came around, this bad boy, man, that weather was so nice. It was like, oh, man, this the March Madness equivalent. Me and the homie Pablo went and sat out at Washington Square Park, just posted up, because it, it was just glorious, man. Sunday came around, similar levels of glory, man. It was wonderful. Dude, Saturday night came, and it was like, oh, this shit is already over, bro. Already over. The next two days was misery. Well, not full-on misery. Like, Monday was miserable morning, then it was cool by the afternoon. But Sunday came around, and it was like, yo, homie, it is already brick. How is it already brick? Yo, bro, it's April. Like, I thought everything would have got itself right by now, bro. It is April. I'm sitting here right now looking at the weather for the weekend. It's talking about 60 on Sunday, and I'm not ecstatic, but I am. What's up with that? Anyway, that's the life we live right now. I started late. I'm going to get to your questions. Taylor Swift's audacity to cover September brought to light your opinion on Earth, Wind, and Fire. Should our culture be more protective of classic music? And this is one of the dumbest questions anybody has ever asked. How exactly do you plan to be more protective of this music? Anybody? How do you plan to be more protective? You know who doesn't want to protect that song from Taylor Swift? You want to guess who doesn't want to protect that song from Taylor Swift? Whoever wrote it. You know why they don't want to protect that from Taylor Swift? Because they want to get paid. That's why. Like There ain't no wall that you're drawing around songs and saying that nobody is allowed to cover them. And if we are putting a wall around songs that we're not going to allow white people to cover, why in the world is September on that list? What are you talking about? Like, September was a song that was written with the aim of achieving pop success. And now you mad that white folks are listening to it? Were you unaware that white folks was on September before this one? No. The problem that has come up with the Taylor Swift cover of September is, one, it is bad, and two, it is Taylor Swift. This isn't about her being white. This is about her, in the eyes of America, being the whitest woman in the country. That's what this comes down to. Now, is she the whitest woman in this country? I don't know. But is there anybody more famous and more whiter than Taylor Swift? Because I don't think there is, right? And somebody hit it on the we don't F with her kick with Taylor Swift. 
what Taylor Swift has been is someone who has kind of publicly complained about people not treating her right, which feels awfully familiar to a lot of black people when they hear a white woman always saying that somebody is picking on her. Therefore, she becomes the one that does this earth, wind, and fire cover, and now all of a sudden, y'all mad. Your boy Justin Timberlake did a cover of September with nobody marching in the street talking about shutting it down. Thought you said we was trying to put a wall around our classics. That's not how classics work. People cover them. That is what they do. You just kind of hope slash wish sometimes that the cover will be better than what you got from Taylor Swift. Because as usual, we'll let it all slide if it's good. We will let it slide if it's good. Look, man, I got a record over here with the Isley Brothers covering uh, James Taylor, Fire and Rain. Fire Rain is definitely not one of our classics. It is absolutely one of their classics. You think white folks are supposed to jump up and be like, hey, 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 wait a minute now. We've got to protect our classics. Nah, 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 nah. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what it should be. And again, if we are going to draw this line, we're not drawing this line around. It's not around September. The Talking Heads did a cover of Al Green's Take Me to the River. The Talking Heads did an Al Green cover. And you know what? It's good. It's good. It's fine. You're going to draw a wall around that one, too? So how you decide where this wall is that you draw it around, so the white folks are allowed to do? Which one is? You guys let me know. I'm just saying, do the song right. That's it. Do the song right. I ain't going to lie about this, too. The way you talking, you sound like you're going to be in line with these white folks going to find Mary J. Blige after she decided to cover Stairway to Heaven. Because if I was white folks, I'd be like, hey, 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 the buck stops here. The buck stops right here. <laughs> Man, Mike said, I feel more about bacon head versus chicken head. See, 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 there we go. Now, now we might be talking about something. But no, man, I mean, my only beef with that cover was that it was bad. If she had come out and ripped it, that would have been a totally different story. Let me tell you something. I'd have been very curious to see how people would respond if, say, Miley Cyrus, who could sing her ass off, had done one of those covers. Yeah. People would be out there confused as hell. Confused as hell. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Like you, I think there are a lot of fascinating layers to the Apu discussion. While I didn't enjoy their response to Lisa, it had me wondering, with internet outrage these days, are the only options give in entirely or face backlash and score? Now, I would say that we're on a roll of back-to-back stupid questions if you're saying, are the only two options. Now, clearly, this... uh, All right, if you're not up on this thing with Apu, um, comedian, let me make sure I get his name right. I have his, uh, actually have email with the gentleman. Um, make sure I say his name right. Oh, yeah. Hari Kondabalu. I believe that's how you say the last name. I could be wrong there. But he did this documentary called The Problem with Apu. And 
I found it to be fascinating because he talked about how Apu is such an offensive character to him. And there were a lot of South Asians of similar age who felt the same way about Apu. And part of their problem with the character of Apu was not even so much the character, though there are certainly their own issues with the character. But a big part of the issue with Apu is that Apu was basically the only South Asian on television for a very, very, very long time. Now, I had never seen the character of Apu as being something that was offensive, but it's easy for me to say because I am not a South Asian. And what these cats are talking about is going through school and consistently having Apu as being like the name that's just thrown at them. Like he is the representative South Asian for a lot of people, like the only South Asian they knew. So they show up somewhere and like the the jerk white kids hit them up on some, oh, yeah, whatever you say, Apu, whatever it is. I was like, damn. But even within that, there's an acknowledgement that it's not the Simpsons' fault that Apu was the only mainstream representation of South Asians um, that is there. But the documentary is about 52 minutes. You can get it online. Um, I rethought a whole lot of it in watching it. But see, where I rethought it, well, one problem they had also is the fact that Hank Azaria does the character and Hank Azaria is white. And so there's an element of feeling minstrelized by the fact that a white man is doing the voice of the South Asian character, which I think certainly has a measure of legitimacy where there's a comparison made in the documentary though to minstrel shows and the character of Apu and that is where I got off the train because while I think that you could argue that the makers of the Simpsons recognize that doing Apu is inappropriate it is not nearly as vicious and intentionally harmful in the way that minstrel shows were like there is an element to Apu that is funny just on the strength of it being funny the joke of the minstrel show is look how funny and ridiculous black people are and i don't think that that's what's going on with the character of Apu but what i thought was interesting in the documentary though about the character of Apu and where the makers of the simpsons lost me is it doesn't even matter to me at this point whether or not the character itself is offensive where the people with the simpsons lost me is they started off from the very beginning saying don't give this character an Indian accent. And then Hank Azaria gave the character an Indian accent, and then everybody in the room laughed, and then boom, suddenly Apu was Indian. Like, that's all it was. Like, if they, they showed it, that the original, for the pilot or whatever, the character is just listed as clerk. The character is not listed as Apu or any name as such. He's just listed as clerk. And at every turn, Hank Azaria, when they do interviews with us, it's like, yeah, I'm a little uncomfortable about the character. And then he just does it. So they doing something that they don't necessarily think is right. At that point, it stops mattering what I think about the character. They doing something that they don't necessarily think is right, but people are laughing, and so they just rock it out. And now you have people like Hari and others who have said, look, we got a problem with the character of Apu. We find it to be offensive. And rather than engaging in what I would consider to be a level of productive dialogue about it because people have good points, the Simpsons have done stuff like have Lisa be like, oh, yeah, well, it was a character that used to be all right, but now it's all politically correct. What are you supposed to do? And then it pans to a picture of Apu sign that says don't have a cap. How dare you? Like the flat out arrogance that you have to have to go ahead and do this with people who put in a great deal of thought and trying to tell you, like, look, man, this hurts us. Right. Like we find this to be harmful. And they're like, well, what do you want from us? What do you mean? What do you want from us? Y'all the ones that run this. Now, what the problem becomes here is for them, so are we supposed to get rid of, do you really want us to get rid of Apu? It'll mess up our television show. Yo, how many characters did they have to get rid of when Phil Hartman died? Right? You remember that? 
they somehow found a way to keep going after that happened. The other thing that I found interesting about this is the Simpsons has been off 30 years. That's another level of this for our South Asian brothers. Apu will never go away, right? Like, it'd be different if Apu was on the show for like a year or two, maybe three. Apu's been piped into people's houses for 30 years. So, like, if you find this thing to be a bane of your existence, you can't ever shake him. Because apparently the Simpsons are never going off the air. But no, man, the Simpsons lost a lot of points for me on that. I think Simpsons is a great television show that has ever been made. Nothing makes me laugh as consistently and as heartily as the Simpsons has. It's been like that basically my whole life. It is an amazing piece of work, right? But I don't think there's any difficulty in saying that while also saying that the way they've handled this thing without poo is fucked up. And it's fucked up from the very, very beginning because they start off in feeling like, nah, we probably shouldn't kick it like that. And then all they got was a couple of jokes. And then once they got a couple of jokes, they're like, oh, well, people are laughing. Now, part of that is the sociopathy of comedy, right? If it's funny, people don't really trip on it. The other part of it, I think, and this is kind of sort of interesting, which is accents that make people laugh. The Indian accent is kind of sort of up there. Right or wrong, it makes people laugh. Now, I consider this thing with accents on a number of levels, though. And I say that because... I have always raised the question, is John Oliver as funny if John Oliver's accent is not British? But, of course, the difference between John Oliver and Apu is that John Oliver is actually British and doing his own British accent. What happens with the Indian accent, I think, is in part is that since Indians are it's an English-speaking country in large part, you wind up with the cognitive dissonance for a lot of people, and this happens with Apu, where he is very erudite in his language. But it also comes from an Indian accent. That makes people laugh. However, ain't nobody really out here trying to get laughed at. Like, why is it funny? Because that's how you sound. You think they're trying to hear that? Why should they be trying to hear that? I totally get why it is that they are not trying to hear that. I also get why the Simpsons try to play that game. But if you feel like you shaky on it, then shake your ass all the way out of it. That's where they bother me. So before we get to anything else, that right there, the idea that how this is making those people feel simply does not matter just because people are laughing. That they can be dismissed simply because they think people are laughing or because it challenges what your belief is of yourself and what you would or would not do. So, yeah, I came away from the documentary not agreeing with all of it. I still need to email the gentleman, but not agreeing with all of it. But it really opened my eyes in a lot of ways. If it, you know, it, it, for 52 minutes, it was really good. And the, the part that it opened my eyes to is something that I just really hadn't thought about, which was my mother was a business school dean at a black college. Um, that means I'm going to know some South Asians. Faculty is often, you know, I wouldn't say heavily South Asian, but there's no shortage of South Asians. And so to me, like the idea of knowing someone who was Indian or from Bangladesh or Pakistani or whatever it was, was not like a strange thing. I knew those people. But what I didn't really think about until I watched that documentary was that I knew those people, but I did not know their children. Like I didn't go to school with their children. I didn't have any Indian friends that were my age. All the Indian folks I knew were much older. And they had thick accents. So, like, I guess I didn't see Apu was necessarily clowning them. Like, I think I, it was uh, was Ajit here. Um, the New Republic who was saying that 
younger he finds that younger South Asians find Apu more offensive than older ones, which I thought was an interesting observation um, in the discussion. But like I really thought about it. No, I don't know their kids. I don't know them. And so their experience in this is very interesting to see because the South Asians that I do know that are my age or younger are nothing. I repeat, nothing like Apu. And so Hari is making the argument there that he feels like they're making a joke on his dad, which is, you know, totally understandable and why that would be a problem. But I actually encourage you to check it out because I think a lot of people start off with this idea of being dismissive that there's something wrong with Apu. But it's hard to watch the documentary and not see that at the very least there is something, even if you're not like full on agreeing with what they're talking about. In the end, these are still human beings with their own humanity who deserve to be listened to. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Zach at Starbucks got to go see his manager, right? Y'all see Zach at Starbucks? So, you know, after everything jumped off at Starbucks over the weekend, they showed a picture of some dude named Zach that was on the clock at Starbucks. And the homie was, um, you know, standing at the register with his Starbucks apron on that said Zach on it. And there was some black dude on the other side of him with a bullhorn because this had turned into a bullhorn situation. Um, in that bad boy. It turned into full-on protest, man. And see, here's what happened in my thoughts on this in part. If you ever see these people when they're talking about the way you got to handle these situations is you can't show no weakness, you can't back down. What happened with Starbucks is exactly why people feel that way. Because Starbucks bungled this thing the whole way. They later called 911, and then the dudes wound up getting arrested, and then they put out the awful statement because they didn't want to go hard one way or another. Then after they put out the awful statement and it was clear that that statement was not enough, that's when people are like, oh, we got them. And that's when they started showing up to the Starbucks. They showed up with the bullhorns. They showed up with their banners talking about stopping, stopping, frisk. They shut that Starbucks down. They in there with megaphones. And see, where I'm with my man Zach on this one is, I bet Zach wasn't even at work that day. You, you, you can get out here. You can do your chat. You can do hell no, we won't go. You can do any of that. But let me tell you what you're not going to do it. You ain't going to do it in my face. And let me tell you how you're not going to do it in my face. You ain't going to do it in my face with no bullhorn. Please believe that. Like, that's where we draw the line. That goes from being about protest, and that travels into a line of personal disrespect. You got to get that bullhorn out of my face, homie. Like, not now, but right now. Like, that, that, that's, that's where it has gone too far. And I'm not saying that I think the dude with the bullhorn has gone too far per se. I'm saying that if I'm Zach, that's where this has gone too far. Too far. So now Starbucks say they're going to shut down all their locations. What is it, the 29th or something like that? And they say that they're going to uh, train people. Yeah. They say they're going to get in there and they're going to do some uh, unconscious bias training. Your issue in this situation is not about unconscious bias. Your issue is about calling the police for something you don't call the police for. Like that seems to, that to me seems to correct the situation. Don't go call the police as such because it doesn't sound like anybody did what they used to tell us to do when I worked in retail because in retail, you know, they got to get you, you know, you got to be out there looking out, making sure that somebody ain't going to steal, but you can't run up on somebody and be like, yo, you you in here stealing? Nah. So what are you supposed to do? That's right. You're supposed to provide them excellent customer service. That's what you're supposed to do. How they could have solved this problem was very easy. Rather than calling 5-0, 
all somebody needed to do was go over to to the dude and be like, "Hey, can I can I help you, gentlemen, with anything?" And then they could be like, "Oh no, 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 we're good. We're waiting on somebody." Boom, problem solved. That's all it would have taken is somebody to walk over there and be like, "You guys been helped." Like, that has to be in your training already, right? Like, that has to be in the manual already. It can't be call the police. And see, the thing about white people and calling the police is, hey, man, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but once you call the police, man, all bets are off. There is no telling what is going to happen after you call the police. And this is why I say Starbucks needs to be like, forget about this bias training, whatever you're talking about, and just get on a when it is or is not appropriate to call the police. Let me tell you this. You mess around and call the police and you get the worst case scenario, which, by the way, is not somebody getting arrested. Now Starbucks got way bigger problems than they got right now, now don't they? When you call the police on us, it's not the same as, as you imagine, just calling the police. It's not that simple. Don't call the police because some dudes are hanging around Starbucks. Boom. Now you ain't even got to worry about going in here and trying to save souls and everything else, right? That being said, remember that when Starbucks said they wanted they baristas? Isn't that what they call them, baristas? But they wanted them baristas to be out here starting conversations about race with people? Your company wanted people out here starting conversations about race. Your manager out here calling 5-0 on people hanging out in the restaurant. What conversations were they going to start about race? In fact, and, and by the way, if you, if now that you have learned that you got to shut down this whole thing for training, maybe y'all should have shut the whole thing down to get people together for some training before you expected them to go out here talking about race with people at the Starbucks. Right? Like up until this, you thought that your baristas was capable of coming out here and having a real live discussion about race. You thought you could do this. Now you realize you got to shut the whole thing down because somebody don't know when it is appropriate to call the police. How backwards was your original plan? How about that? How backward was your original plan? Seriously. Man. But yeah, anyway. They've been in there acting up in the Starbucks uh, since this happened. I would like to know something else for you here. You want to know a place where this wouldn't have happened? This wouldn't have happened at no McDonald's. It would not have. And you know why this wouldn't have happened at no McDonald's? Because McDonald's would have let you sit down. Like I saw the video of the dude in California where they wouldn't let him go in the bathroom. That wouldn't happen at McDonald's. You know why? McDonald's going to let you go to the bathroom. It's that simple. Like, why y'all so territorial over your bathroom? Right? Mm-hmm. Is he part of why this hit black folks in the way that it did? Is we all been there, man. That all that that I can't do this here for whatever reason, right? You know, the apartment complex that ain't got no vacancies when you show up. That one right there. Uh, do you mind if I use the bathroom? Yeah, we, 
Oh, we really only allow that for paying customers. Then you see somebody else come out that bad boy. We all been there. Like, this ain't the end of the world. The Starbucks thing got us because we are like, yo, you need to be careful when you decide to call the police. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Somebody in here asking if I'm boycotting Starbucks. If I'm boycotting Starbucks, I've been doing it for like 20 years. Someone also said, is your TED Talk anywhere online to view? Have you considered Googling, sir? I feel like that's a question you could ask yourself. Why are people getting so defensive when Beyonce gets compared favorably to Michael Jackson? So Beyonce went and killed it at Coachella, and that's led to some discussions as to whether or not Beyonce's fame at this moment is the same as Michael is on the level of Michael Jackson's in the 80s. Uh, stuff like that. Now, is her fame on the level of Michael Jackson's? Maybe, but not really. Like, I don't think it's possible for anybody to be the kind of star that Michael Jackson was in the 1980s. It was a perfect collision of time and place and technology and all of those things. Um, also, while I believe that Beyonce is very talented and puts out very good music, um, the catalog that made Michael Jackson a megastar at the height of his megastardom is on a level that the Beyonce stuff, like that off-the-wall thriller bad run Beyonce ain't got that yet. He probably never will, but Beyonce ain't got that. And that's no disrespect to her. Um, but just in terms of how big that stuff was, Prince ain't got that. Like, there's not many, like, unless we talk about, like, Def Leppard or something like that, we just ain't got a whole lot of people that have been commercially like that at that point. On top of the fact, yeah, that stuff is proven to be timeless in a lot of ways. I, I don't think she's quite there. But in terms of influence, Beyonce at 36 going on 37 got more impact on the culture. Michael Jackson at 36 going on 37. Now, keep in mind, part of Michael Jackson not having that influence at that point is that's where the uh, allegations started popping up is a little bit before you got there. But no, Beyonce is, I don't understand why people feel the need to try to knock her down a peg. What she's doing is downright inspirational. Like, I'm not a bit, I'm not, I was never big into the Destiny's Child stuff. The early Beyonce stuff, I was never really super big into. I'm a late adopter when it comes to this. But I don't see how you can't look around at what it is that she's doing and be amazed by it. Understand this, Beyonce ain't had a number one single since 2008. Single Ladies is Beyonce's last number one single. Yet Beyonce keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And the reason is, man, now at the point, she's just doing whatever she damn well pleases. Like I saw the thing her mama talked about at Coachella where she was afraid that Beyonce show at Coachella, the kids who went to Coachella weren't going to get it. And Beyonce was like, no, you know, well, you know, I'm at a point where I'm going to do what I want to do and maybe they'll see this and then they'll go Google it or whatever it is. Or, or, or what I would have said in that moment, I'm Beyonce. They're going to get on it because I'm on it. Like I ain't out here doing nothing weird. I'm still doing my songs. They going to rock with it because I'm Beyonce, which, by the way, is the right answer. Like, what Beyonce got to do to make y'all be like, yeah, I don't know if I'm rocking with that. Like, seriously, what, what, what would Beyonce have to do at this point for y'all to be like, nah, I will not follow you down that road, queen. Yeah, somebody said back Trump. That's about it. Otherwise, y'all going to do what Beyonce do. So Beyonce might as well do whatever the hell it is that she wants to do. Well, that's the thing I give her husband credit for is that basically for the last 15 years, he's made the music that he's wanted to make. Might as well. Why not? Y'all are where y'all are at this point. Y'all are who y'all are at this point. You might as well. 
That being said, I don't feel uh, Beyonce is not Michael Jackson. Like they're like as good as the Beyonce shows are and performances and her stuff and everything else. Yo, Mike brought it out of people in a way that Beyonce still does not. And that is not a knock on Beyonce. That is just about the sheer magnitude and majesty of Michael Jackson. That's it. You know, so like if you want to say, is she today's Michael Jackson? I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I think you can make that argument, but I don't know. I don't know if you can, I don't know if anybody can get there. I really don't. Appreciate the question. See, this guy here says earlier on Twitter, you suggested Beyonce might have surpassed Michael Jackson as an artist and entertainer. Can you further discuss? Can you read? Can you read? That is not what I said. Like the hardest thing about talking about this stuff on Twitter is y'all can't read or at the very least simply refuse to read. So I'm going to sit here while I'm on here with y'all and I am going to make sure that I go back and I check exactly what it was because I remember where this started. It started with a thread by Bill Wordy about whether Beyonce at this point as a cultural figure, right, as like as it was was in a place that Michael Jackson had not reached. And I really was reading it and being like, yo, I did not buy this at first, but then we go from there. So here's what I said. Speaking purely on music, it's worth noting that Michael's music at the beginning of his solo run is way better than early solo Beyonce. But later solo Beyonce wins easily for me. But by 1992, Mike wasn't pushing the direction of the culture in any way. Game changes changed a lot while he was gone between bad and dangerous. Beyonce is clearly out in front in a way Mike wasn't in his mid-30s. Easy to forget Beyonce turns 37 this year. Where did I say she was the equal as an artist or an entertainer? Anybody? Anybody? Where did I say that? Thanks. And this, really though, you can't, you can't talk about anything with anybody about anything approaching being their favorite because y'all, let me find a way to take this to the place that's going to make me mad. That's what y'all do. And then it's people that just can't enjoy something in the moment. Where does Beyonce at Coachella rank among the best performances you've ever seen? I don't know. I got to sit around with a fucking ranking just like, oh, hold on. Let me work Beyonce in here right fast. Good gosh, who says, which black woman should have Coachella highlighted before Beyonce? Aretha fucking Franklin. I don't know. Nina Simone should have brought her ass out there. Yeah, Tyler is not having a great day with the stuff he's bringing up. Let's see, there's a question I feel like. Uh, Tyler says the decision to live stream Beyonce's performance signal trend for other stars to follow, or was this a one off? Bruh. Jesus. They be streaming all kind of stuff. Is Meek Mill the social justice warrior we deserve? This is very interesting that Meek Mill has been the guy to get people to look around and realize that maybe our parole and probation system is a bit flawed. I don't have a great answer for how exactly it is that this guy became the guy. This dude's got Bob Kraft coming to visit him in jail. He's got all these cats on his team to get him out when... While I think the stuff that they were trying to keep him, you know, put him in jail on was rather nonsensical, I also feel like he was wilding. 
Like, yo, bro, you know you on paper. You probably shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. Now, maybe the the things that he shouldn't have been doing are things they should have been concerned about in the first place, but you probably shouldn't have been doing this kind of stuff. And now we are all Team Meek. It helped that the Eagles won that Super Bowl and then that Meek Mill song became the soundtrack of it, right? When I had that Aston Martin, y'all thought it would rent it. You know, that was jamming, right? But now he's that dude. There's a whole bunch of cats that's been like, for real, this this the one? This the one? But whatever works, right? I mean, the God seems to be fairly noble. Whatever works, whoever it goes for, this is what it is. I mean, it's not like he's O.J. Simpson. That's a bit conflicting. But, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this once every week or two somewhere in there. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you. Guys, remember, if you cannot catch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. Also in the Google Play Store. Talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.